Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome back to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. So we've got a really heavy hitter of a guest. So Prashant, you've worked with some like major, major companies. You've got a very impressive educational background. And this it's funny that the space that you're in, I literally had a student say, hey, um, I just interviewed for a job. They said it wasn't a good fit. But the manager said you might be a better fit for a decision science role. So how about we start off the episode with, you defining what decision science even is, and then we can jump into kind of your backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh, John David, for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this term decision decision science and data science and machine learning and analytics have all been around for a while. I think back when I started my career, we only used to call it analytics. So everything was mm-hmm. analytics, right? And then you would have you know, descriptive analytics, and then more on the predictive analytics, which was just, that was a term that was used. Um, but I think as the industry evolved, uh, you know, the use cases kind of became broader and broader. And so decision science is is a field that helps businesses make decisions based on data, right? So for example, one could be using data science and machine learning to like to help with like self-driving cars, right? Um, how how to navigate uh, you know driveways and all that, uh, or one could use uh, data science techniques to help companies inform how much inventory they should have, right, or how much demand they're going to get, 
Um, so, so anything that helps companies make like business decisions is a field we call, you know, decision science. Okay. And it's funny. So Drew, if you're listening, he's my student, he couldn't make it. He had a call um, yeah. right at this time, but he wanted me to sp- explicitly ask you, what is the difference between data science and decision science? Yeah. 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 So data science is an input, I would say, right? So when data science is a, is a, is a tool in that sense. So one would use data science tools um, to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, you know, I called my role as a decision uh, science, uh, you know, uh, leader in my past role at Apple was because it is not the technique that matters. It's what we, the outcome that matters. So one could, let's say, get a great business insight by just doing a simple cross tab. Uh, you know, one doesn't have to do the most, uh, you know, complex techniques. Uh, so just making sure that everybody in the team was focused on, hey, you know, our purpose is to make, help companies make decisions, right? And and not necessarily do the most complex of techniques. Sometimes the simpler is better. In fact, more often than not, simpler is better. Okay, so I just learned, so I guess I'm a decision scientist then, because I don't yeah. I don't care about the advanced tools and all the crazy stuff. Right. Um, I right. am... I'm much more interested on the business side of things and how the business, like the game of sales is played, for example, and how you have to have, you know, awareness campaigns that generate leads that you need to pre-qualify and then you need to find your close rate. So if you can, you know, adjust any of the different um, metrics within, you know, those, that funnel that can have a huge impact on the business. Right. Right. And, and, you know, the reason why I started using this term is, you know, in the market, when we go out and say, okay, we're looking for data scientists, we might find people who are more interested in, let's say, doing data science work or machine learning for for something like Siri or Google Assistant, right? Mm-hmm. We're training a virtual assistant to, you know, learn better things. And that is a very different skill set than what you were talking about is managing the sales funnel. Um, right. So so we, want, we had to kind of somehow differentiate that, you know, we are this versus not. Uh, and that is how, you know, the decision science term uh, has come up. And, and and not only us, right? A lot of uh, people in the industry use the term uh, to, to denote like this uh, category of problems that we want to solve. Awesome. All right. So why don't you walk us through kind of your history? Because it's really, really impressive. Well, uh, thank you. So um, I actually am an engineer by training. And I started my career as a software developer for Motorola. And, you know, back when the world was in 2G, we were developing 5G systems. Um, so did like a lot of like um, uh, really intense uh, or what what I think what Twitter, what, what Elon Musk would call hardcore uh, <laughs> uh, stuff, right? Like, like building uh, systems from the ground up. And then suddenly uh, this is like late 2000s and this whole term of, uh, of data being the new oil was was coming up right like world was getting on the internet more more data was generated and and that became like the wild west that there is so much data out there and people just need to figure out how to uh, manage that and make and and make uh, use of it so i joined a small startup called uh, mu sigma back then uh, it eventually turned out to be a unicorn by the time i quit oh, wow. uh, uh, so joined that in India. Um, it's, it, it was a data science, decision science consulting firm. Uh, so did um, consulting work for a bunch of Fortune 500 companies across like Europe and US. 
um and then after that i joined apple um i was uh, by the time i left i was uh, leading their analytics and data science organization managing um you know end to end analytics for the revenue and the cost side of the world for um for a segment of the operations business that I have multi billion app operations business that we were part of um very yeah. cool and and just recently i i started my own company um it's we call it ficus analytics and again right the the uh, objective or the north star of the company is to make consumption of analytics frictionless right so we awesome. can, yeah yeah oh and cool and what's what's really cool about that is that i saw the email thread yeah. So you're interviewing one of my students, what, in three yeah. hours? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, and it is what's so cool about that is that, you know, Gavin has sales experience and then also um, an understanding of analytics. So, like, I, I think that's something that people don't don't think about too much is, like, how can you start to stack things on top of each other? Like, your area of expertise and then your skill. I think there's this way overemphasis on just skills, skills, skills. Yes. Right now. Yes, yes. And, and I often tell this to people, right, we all have, you know, people, especially who are earlier in their career, right, have like three, four decades of career ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And that's a long time. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, what we know now, or what is cool now will definitely not be relevant or cool in like two decades. I hope it isn't right. There are new stuff that have come in. So, you know, being married to here is my skill set, especially early on in the career. It's probably not a great idea. You know, I learned that lesson by creating a YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, there's there's this concept of like trendy content versus evergreen. Mm. And how, how can you decipher? And I think that concept of what's my YouTube topic yep. applies directly to what is my professional brand. So yep. if it's when I first started my career, I was a tablet specialist, mm-hmm. which is really limiting. It's also very risky because what if Power BI comes in and dominates the market? Yep. And then in five years, Tableau doesn't exist. Right. So then I'm I'm taking on the risk that Tableau has into my own career. So where right. then I branched out into being just an analytics expert. Yeah. And that's much more evergreen. Yeah. So yeah. saying like, I work on this one tool and I solve this one type of problem is very limiting versus, oh, I help executives make use and understand of their data. Right. And that's so right. much broader. And that's not, you know, 10, 15 years, they're probably still going to be having that same issue. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And and it's Tableau today. It could be some other tool in the future. Right. And, you know, we'll just have to reskill ourselves a little, but yeah, as long as that's the mindset, I think people are setting themselves up for success. Gotcha. All right. So you have an MBA from the Wharton school of business, right? Mm -hmm. Which that's like one of the top tier MBAs out out there on on earth. It's cool. Um, and, and one of the things that we talked about when we had kind of our, our pre-interview prep is that the way to think about grad school is not necessarily what are you, I mean, I guess some people in a different position can go to grad school to reskill, mm-hmm. but I think it's much better to go out into the workplace, get paid to develop those skills. And then you go to the grads, the, the best grad school that you can, because you buy into the network. And then all of a sudden that just opens up so many opportunities for you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, right? I think I think formal grad school education is is more of a long term play. Right. Uh, I mean, but again, right? Some people might need that to get their next job, and you know that's a segment of people that's out there. Uh, but 
you know, for a lot of other people, it's going to be mostly it's going to be, you know, the last major degree one is going to, one is going to get. So uh, it is definitely a long term play. Right. I think. And actually, that kind of hits on a pretty nuanced point. Uh, yeah. I went to get my MBA with a concentration in analytics mm-hmm. to gain the confidence to then go pursue this career yep. in this space. And what I'm realizing is that I didn't have to pay, you know, $30,000 to go and do that. I could have, like, everything's permissionless. Like, I can go and download data and start analyzing it and teaching it to myself. Like, I don't need, you know, a 30, 40. I mean, some of these grad schools are like, well into the six figures for just like one to two years, which is huge. But all right. So now let's, let's kind of circle it back to the um, topic at hand here, which is, do you have any just, I guess like career advice cornerstones or, or what would you, what would your, would be your advice to someone who is, so the, the two people we have on the call right now Mm -hmm. are currently um, they've worked in analytics. They have multiple years of experience how can they go about expanding their career and kind of growing it? Yeah, yeah. It all starts with, first of all, you know, we all talk about growing careers and expanding careers. Um, but for some people, you know, maybe the definition of growth and expansion is different, right? They may have, mm-hmm. they might have a different personal situation or different personal goal, and they are just happy doing what they're doing. And I think that's absolutely a fine, you know, thing to do, right? One doesn't have to always think about, uh, you know, the next promotion or the next raise and all that, right? Life is much bigger than that. Um, but then, so it all starts with intention, right? Like, where where do you see yourself what who are you uh, intrinsically and what matters to you the most right so for some people growth could be being really good at the data science work that they do right mm-hmm. um, you know it doesn't have to be you know being a manager it just could be like i am the best individual contributor in terms of data science that i can be and the market is great right it it, it pays well um you know one can build a whole career out of that and not having to manage anybody really um the 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 founder the co-founder of hubspot uh uh Dermesh shah he's he's the cto of hubspot or was the cto he is still the cto of hubspot and he he says he doesn't manage a single person Right. Mm-hmm. He's, he's an individual contributor and he t- till date writes code and does architecting and all that. So that is a very legitimate, you know, path if somebody wants to take. Um, you know, okay, okay. So I have thoughts on this and I kind of yeah, want to get your ahead. opinion on this. Go ahead. Okay. So I, I think that there is, there's two tracks essentially. Yeah. So you could be a subject matter expert. Um, Cause a lot of people come to me and they're like, Oh, I want to learn machine learning. I want to do predictive, yeah. like all this really advanced stuff. It's like that's you can do that and you can specialize on that, but that's um, you're going to be an individual contributor most likely. Right. And some in, like I was talking to a recruiting agency and I mean, some of the top tier Amazon analysts who are just individual contributors are making multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. Absolutely. Um, because if you think about it, if their recommendation algorithm is improved by three percent conversion rate what is that worth? Like a hundred million dollars. So paying them $600,000 all of a sudden makes total sense if they're hitting those objectives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And then he wants to do management is not because they want to earn more money because they can do that Mm -hmm. in in a highly specialized, like what do you say? Like some kind of expert role. 
Right. So, okay. So there's the subject matter. And then the other side is you start to move into management and then you start getting into teams. And then it's the leverage there is not your specific and unique knowledge space. It's that there, instead of just having you solve the problem, you now have six people plus you kind of driving the forces. And that's really, really powerful in terms of the economic output that you can achieve from that. That's right. I, I like how you are thinking about it, right? Because it's really the economics, right? The the value you bring to the business, right? Right. You get part of it, essentially, right? We should, you know, if you just think about it from that perspective. Right? Um, yeah, well, I see a lot of parallel thinking between, because uh, the decision science is new to me, but yeah. you said inputs. So skills are input. The output yeah. is the economic value. What's the ROI? Yeah. So I've been talking about this and thinking about this for, you know, I'm, I started teaching three years ago. And it seems like all the, all the students, I think what it is, is they get anxious. So they just double down and they take course after course. So they study and they study and they study. Um, but at a certain point, you've got to develop judgment. Yes. And that's, that's really, you know, how to deploy that. And then, okay, before I forget this point, that the guy who was like the CTO, my understanding, and this might be a controversial take, of C-suite executives, presidents, people who run companies, mm-hmm. it's less it's less about output and it's more about this almost like they're um, a politician. Yeah. Like like they are, you know, thinking about the vision. They're thinking about has everyone happy? Is everything working? They're less doing the day-to-day work. Yeah. And because because you know, a lot of people see that and they're like, well, these people are are what they're just taking all this money and there's no value. It's like well, if you develop the right strategic partnerships and you chart the right course, I mean, that could be the difference between the business existing and not existing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it reminds me of two points, right? One is it depends on the stage the company is. Um, so Jeff Bezos in one of his interviews mentioned that you know he gets paid to make small number of high impact decisions. Um, so he doesn't look at like day-to-day operations of, uh, Amazon, right? But he, he gets paid to do that. It also depends on where the company is. When Amazon was a startup, or I mentioned about HubSpot, when it was a startup, like these guys were in the trenches, right? Building right. stuff, uh, right? Like working on, on things on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah, so it, it, it kind of really depends on, you know, what's the need and, and where somebody is. Right. And it's, it's interesting though, because I, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like kind of piecing all these thoughts together. In order for you to develop judgment, which I think is a skill set into itself, you have to have consequences or skin in the game. Yeah. Was it Nassim Taleb who wrote that book, Skin in the Game? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Where it's I, like if you just learn skills in a vacuum and it's a practice set and there's no outcome, I mean, you're kind of learning. Like you might know the like the mechanisms and like where to mash the buttons, but that's only the input. It's not you know the process and then to the output. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. It's so interesting. It's very interesting. All right, let's, so we've got three, well, I got one current, one student of mine who graduated and got a job and then I've got two prospective students. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and pull them in and then, cause I know they've got questions for you. Awesome. So, all right. So let me introduce them. So this is Justin right here. Justin Miller went through our career services program. Mm-hmm. Justin, when did you go through like what, uh, two months ago at this point? Oh, you're muted. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so probably about, about two or three months ago. Gotcha. And so um, for those of you who are listening, uh, we have two programs. We So we have the apprenticeship of people who were trying to break into the space. Justin, you had already had three years of analytics experience before you got to work with me. 
So then we kind of helped yeah. you get that promotion, which was, was really cool. Um, and then we've got Satya who is currently, you're getting what a master's degree in, in I'm doing my master's degree in, yeah, in engineering, which it sounds like you've got a very similar background to Prashant here. And then we got Johannes who I think you're, you've, you've been running your own business for the past few years, but you were a data scientist at Airbnb for a few years. Yeah. I, uh... I was data scientist about 27. I was an analyst from 2012 to 2017, market research and data scientist. And, you know, I just been away from that life for about, you know, almost six years now and look to get back into it. And uh, not quite sure exactly where I fit in. Do I want to be in project management, pillar management, or actually individual contributors? Yeah, shit. All right. So do you guys have any questions? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop talking. You guys take it from here. I'm sure you have some questions. Go ahead. It typically takes five Going seconds. Going once? Going twice? Are you guys nervous? <laughs> Justin. I mean, I'll, I'll first start by saying, um, you know, thank you for joining the call. And I think it's pretty cool to, to be speaking to someone of your caliber. Um, in terms of, of growth, and John kind of touched base on this, you know, a lot of people, and I've noticed this from talking with various directors and just other people as well as that, when it comes to growth, a lot of people will tend to stick within a role for X amount of time. Um, you were with Apple, correct? Yep. So at what point did you determine, you know, it's time for me to take this next step on and advance myself in another aspect or in another degree? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one -on -one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. That's an interesting question, right? And, and you know, I have my own framework for it. Um, so let's say you have, let's say you're in a current role, right? That pays you X dollars. And you think that your potential is much more, right? Um, let's say your market is going to pay you, let's say X plus, you know, $10. Right? <clears throat> uh, now that might be too less of a difference, for you to like go and jump the ship, right? Because when you jump your ship, you lose a lot of brand that you've built. You you lose a lot of connection that you've built, a lot of good goodwill that you may have earned. So think of that as an investment. And when you see that, you know, the more you're investing in your career, in your current role, right? You, you kind of start building a higher market level pay for yourself. And when you think that's substantial for you and that's subjective, right? What is substantial versus not? But when that is substantial, that's when you, you know, move. For me personally, it has always been, it has, you know, I, it has always been about, is this the next 
you know, is this a place where I want to spend the next, you know, five, six, seven years or 10 years of my career in, right? Is, is this the, the, you know, the next quantum leap that I want to take? Um, you know, because look, if there are certain problems that I'm dealing with in the current workplace, most likely they're going to happen in the next one as well. Uh, right. So I'll have to rather develop skills to, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to fight with them or to, uh, not be bothered by that. Right. If that's what it is, uh, rather than run away from it. Right? But then again, right, it's very subjective. I mean, there are places where, you know, it's not a good fit. And the sooner you know it's not a good fit, just move on. Uh, so, you know, are you moving on because you're running away from something? Or are you moving on because you are going to the next big thing? Right? I think that's more important to, to answer for yourself. Well, actually, I got a follow-up question. Yeah. So, Justin, how's the new role going? So, I, we've, we've texted a little bit via LinkedIn. Um, but, yeah, how, how's it... How's it going? I love it. I yeah. Love it. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Like, um, I think, you know, uh, what, what was big for me was our uh, culture with the company. And so, like, being able to go into a company that had a great culture similar to where I was coming from um, is no- amazing, number one. And then um, diving into this role even more. Um, so I'm not – my role now, a uh, data analyst on the digital side. So I deal more so with, um, like, ad agencies and – the ad world, so to say. And it's this world is more so new to me because I'm more on the retail side. I was coming more from on the retail side. So getting more into this ad role and seeing like the different acronyms that's used and just things like that is, is pretty it's pretty cool. And you know it's funny, I was gonna mention you know, we I'm a tableau guy. Uh, no power BI as well and things like that. But uh, when it comes to aggregating data it was more so SQL. So I'm learning Tableau prep flow in which that was something that was totally new to me, getting into this role. Mm-hmm. Many people think, you know, I got to know everything when I go into a job, and it's not true. Like, here I am with years of experience, and I'm learning Tableau, Tableau prep flow to build a data structure that's going to flow into the dashboards. Right. I, I think it's so much better to get the job and then get paid to develop the skill. Because if one way to frame it up is that if you're taking 100 hours worth of um, courses, that's basically you're volunteering a hundred of your hours of time for no economic return other than maybe the potential of a job, which I mean, a lot of the people I've probably done like 150 discovery calls for the program over the last six months. I'm I'm hit. A lot of the people I talk to are like, yeah, I've I've taken 50 or a hundred hours worth of courses and I can't, I can't interview because all I can talk about, all you have to show is this like badge of, Hey, I have, I have, you know, 50 of these badges, which I, I mean, Sean, what, what do you think is, is, well, I mean, actually, let me, let me, I was, I was going to lead you in that question and say, are these even valuable and like kind of um, throw shade, but are there, what is the value of taking online courses in your opinion to be a little bit more fair? Yeah. 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 I, I think online courses have, transformed how people learn uh, mm-hmm. right um you know earlier it would take them you know a formal degree uh, for everything that they want to learn i guess now uh, you know online courses helps people like learn like a very specific skill set they want to learn uh, so i think that is very useful but that by itself is is not sufficient right uh, right you know when let's say i interview people 
um, I look at like their projects that they have done, right? Uh, I would look at their GitHub profile and see like, you know, what kind of work they do, what kind of code they write. Uh, so those are the kind of things I would look at. Now they might have learned that skill through an online course, right? And, and that's great. Or they might have, you know, a friend who knows things and is, is ready to teach them. And that's also a good way to do that, uh, right? Um, I mean, when I started my career, there were no online courses for data science. Uh, there were no courses for data science, period. Uh, so the only way to learn was learn it from people who practice it, right? It was more of an apprenticeship kind of a model, right? Back in the day, if you wanted right. to be a carpenter, you joined another carpenter and, and you know, they taught you. Uh, so that's how I kind of uh, learned it. Uh, so, so these are all different ways, right? I think, I think online courses can definitely get the head start. Uh, but people will still have to do their own projects and, you know, do their own, uh, you know, personal projects, so to speak, or, or use it, apply it somewhere. Right. I guess um, to, to be explicit about my thoughts on this, yeah, you hit a point of diminishing returns. So maybe it's between the 10th and the 11th course where it's like, okay, that 11th course gave you more, less of a return than the 10th course, you know, but there's a certain, and maybe it's just three courses. You take three courses on machine learning and then that's, you need to just go out and start working on it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. cause I, I see people get stuck in that trap of just like over, over they're hyper fixating on skills essentially. Yeah. And it, it was persona so cool that we were talking about, okay, well, decision science is less about the emphasis on, you know, machine learning and the super technical stuff. It's about, all right, how does data, plug into this decision and it doesn't matter you know what medium you use like it, it would be impressive if it was a predictive algorithm but you know you said a cross tab might might be enough at that point mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um okay so satya we've we just had a conversation um what earlier this week a uh, couple of days back yeah so you're in that position where you've worked for a number of years. You've actually managed a really large team. And then the, in our discovery call, you were saying, you know, I think I want to learn machine learning and all this advanced stuff. And I kind of pushed back and challenged you a little bit. Of, well, if you've managed a large team and you have a master's degree and you're learning data science, maybe instead of the subject matter expert role, maybe the um, moving into a managerial role, which actually might at this point in time pay quite a bit more than what you were expecting. Yeah. So do you want to kind of break down, like, what's, what's your thought process on that? Like, why, why did you get to that point where, um, like, what's the appeal of, of, you know, advanced data science? Yes. So first of all, good morning, everyone. And it's been an extreme weather conditions here. And uh, I, just, I just logged in with my mobile because there is a power outrage here. Oh, in my God. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's minus 12, guys, here. <laughs> wow. Where, where, wow. Are you, where are you uh, calling from? In College Station, Texas, fresh answer. Oh wow! Uh, I'm I'm doing my masters in uh, Texas A&M at College Station. I, I'm Satya. I'm from India. I recently moved to USA for my masters, and it's it's very nice to have a con- connect, connect, connection like John because of him I came to know about you, podcast. And yeah, uh, before uh, like having my questions put forward. The, the the situation where I was right now, I, I led a wonderful team back in India for a e-commerce company, which later shifted towards the health science industries like human genome, gen- genetics and all, and uh, which made me actually due to COVID, my CEO asked me to focus everything on data, do anything which you want to do, but on system, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. commute to 
the workplace so at that time i developed more love towards analytics because till that time i, I used to do marketing analytics marketing and where which which particular factor is influencing our sales by yep. just doing correlation yep just by just doing simple correlations and by, by just evaluating the number of sales coming from follow up calls i used to give insights to marketing team yes it's fun because not much data used to be involved and uh, but after covid i gained a lot of insight towards data science and uh, data analytics which made me to do possibly master's level degree because i've been graduated in 2016 my undergrad so long gap in, in learning process and filling the gaps with industry and myself so i decided let us pick a university which can help me uh, uphold my previous skills like supply chain management and add new skills like data so i took the degree in industrial engineering which is having a focus of data analytics as well in texas a&m and uh, i just love data I just, uh, the first initial class, course of my is is machine learning yeah. and algorithm the professor taught me in the way we can and uh, visualize everything with running back or like seeing the back uh, seeing back by backstage what is happening in every algorithm it made me it made me to fell in love yes and i decided to rise in love in machine learning so yes. i decided to learn more gain a lot of things and uh, my summer break and my this break has been great i started developing projects in sql like like likes john there was a guy who helped me to simplify the job process do projects sh- socialize with people build network and show that in uh, your uh, portfolio so i started developing my power bi skills in visualization and all and it's been fun i'm doing wonderful things but when i met uh, john he kept me he actually initiated an idea in my mind that why can't you do supply chain management uh, roles where analytics is involved because you are managed a good team and you are saying i have a love for data as well so i mean it's been like couple of days i'm applied for like 10 15 roles oh cool <laughs> all and the best today i have a call uh, maybe yeah. in the afternoon or evening one yeah. of your hr manager approached me that i love your profile we need to have a call uh, over discussion and i said i'm i'm in more towards data rather than supply chain but still i have my course completed in that if you still want me to talk i i believe because i don't want to create false uh, expectations that obviously like we love uh, we actually in need of guys who are actually in love with data have experience in supply chain management so that one change actually created a lot of impact uh, in my in the way i approach people towards my uh, future yeah. job roles that's been a great advice uh, john thank i i mean I, i never thought in that way that why don't i uh, Uh, leverage my skills which are already have uh, i have in the last 5 years so that's been great and to you prashant sir uh, like i have a lot of things to ask but first and foremost <laughs> does a specific degree matter while i mean why whatever you said regarding the github like while you are uh, recruiting a guy you, you look, yep. look into how he did the project what is the approach in in mm. doing project and all but do the degree matters because i'm still thinking to take a data science degree still last semester i was in the dilemma ki uh, i should have done data science direct degree rather than industrial and data specialization yeah yeah so i got a scholarship that's the reason i didn't shifted the uh, major because my the major which i'm doing of the first semester they gave me a scholarship of 10 10000 usd so i decided not to uh, jump into the uh, new major like data science still learning everything from my the major which i'm having so does the degree matter uh, in in uh, yeah. you know so this this is a great question right like does a degree matter and i think it all goes down to you know what's the purpose right so what what does a degree do 
it gives a signal that this is it's a shorthand for here are the skills this person would bring in uh, right so that's what a degree is uh, right and 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 so when somebody says okay he has a masters in data science it basically means that he would probably be knowing about you know some some amount of machine learning some amount of you know uh, database management some amount of cloud compute and all that so that's what a degree is supposed to uh, indicate uh, what degree also does it gives you a network of people so those are you know the things that a degree comes with so if if somebody could get those things without a degree then you know it would serve the same purpose uh, but for some people, getting all those things individually may not be an option or may not necessarily be feasible. And then a degree, you know, would work. So to so think of, to take a step back, right, and, and say, why is degree important? Uh, before asking, is degree important or not, right? And, and what does a degree do? Um, and then you would have, you know, your answers. Got it. Yeah, I was going to say, to piggyback off that point, we just let our first student in, in yeah. this last cohort with no degree. Uh, he's literally working in FedEx moving boxes and he just landed a $70,000 analytics job last week. So we've completely bypassed. Yeah, I absolutely. It's uh, funny. We did exactly what you just laid out there. Like we, we had him build out a portfolio. Um, so he has started his own um, clothing line. So he started analyzing that data, built a portfolio around that. Then we coached him through that process. So I think a degree helps, but also too, it's really important how you communicate that because you could have a degree and not, well, it's interesting because we, I have had, a, we've had multiple students who have masters in data science and analytics come through the program and they really struggle in the interview process. So they would say, Hey, what'd you learn in the process or what'd you learn during your masters of analytics they couldn't even they just froze up and they couldn't even talk about it so it's like it's it's a little bit of a gamble also too i think a factor that matters is and it, it relates to the network that you buy into the brand of the university is important there are certain for-profit universities that are almost like a counter signal of like they have such a bad brand and that it's almost like oh if they have this degree I'm not, I won't name the specific for-profit universities. Um, I just don't want a lawsuit on me. <laughs> but I've I've had hiring managers tell me that if I see X Y Z name, I will filter them out of the uh, out of the pool. Now you're at Texas A and M, which I think is a very very good school. So like that's that's like top notch. That's not your issue. That's more so just to kind of um, expand upon. You know, we've we've got quite a few people in the chat right now who are potentially thinking about getting a master's or not. All right. So, Johannes, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I just um, I have a lot of nephews in the house, and like I just don't want them to be in camera, so I took my stuff off camera Christmas okay. time. <laughs> and, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, and I also took it on the phone because I'm just constantly moving around trying to find a quiet space. No um, yeah, so uh, apologies for taking myself off the camera. Oh, no worries. Well, I just yeah, – like, You've been there and you've been quiet. I want you to. I want you to get your chance to ask some questions or talk a little you bit. You know, absolutely. I think my first and foremost, my primary goal was to just listen what people are saying, where they're coming from. Uh, one of my issue is not feeling competent to do certain things. Uh, you know, like I've done, like I've literally ran, uh, I built a brand from scratch that is nation. You can find it in Sprouts, so Wegmans, uh, 
but even though I'm capable of managing products, developing products, I can't seem to communicate that. And which is why I've been leaning more towards individual contributor, uh, having about seven uh, from, you know, graduated graduate school 2011, from 2011 to 2017, I was essentially on analytics role. And I could talk about those, that's my passion. Uh, you know, I would love to hear like how, you know, an individual who has been self-employed that's capable of managing people, product, be able to communicate that, say, you know, if with, with a hiring manager. And, and communicate what? Communicate? Like uh, the skill sets of, you know, the capacity to manage products, yes. multitask, yeah. new yeah. products, you know, uh, uh, not just start, but to start a project and see it to fruition like complete it, you know, from A to B, be comfortable with ambiguity, uh, you know, be comfortable with high paced environment. It's, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let, let me, let me start by saying that not being confident is, is, is not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, if anything, it, it actually shows that you're a thinking person uh, and, you know, people who know a lot know that they don't know a lot as well. Uh, right uh, it's yeah it's, Einstein right? so yes right so uh, yeah. so not being like super confident is okay uh, mm -hmm. it probably means that you know you are aware of things that you don't know uh, mm. what is uh, I think coming back to how do you project yourself right so that if that is your personality your identity right what you uh, are uh, the best way to start to, to do it is to do it just often, right? Uh, mm. So nobody gets their sales pitch right the first time, uh, right? It's just like the more you try, the more you spend time uh, iterating it, uh, you know, you, you get it right. There, there is, there is uh, you know, you can, you can get some professional help maybe, right? Or a friend who is a sounding mm -hmm. board and say, hey, this is what I'm uh, saying, right? Does it make sense to you or not? Uh, but the best way is to just keep trying, right? And, mm -hmm. and at that point, you will get to like, yeah, this is what's resonating with most people. Yeah. Yeah. So practice, yeah. practice, practice. <laughs> that, that's, that's right, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when you see some of these leaders and you, you, you hear them sound so effortless, uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of effort that goes in being effortless. Uh, it's yeah, a lot, lot of practice. Right, a lot of failure. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's like the motto think, of Silicon Valley: fail yeah. quick, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, that, yeah, I was, gonna, I was just gonna say that: sell fast so that you can succeed sooner. That's right. The sooner you feel something, it's a learning experience. Um, right. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, I, I appreciate that. Uh, it's something I probably need to hear. Uh, and I guess, like, how do you decide whether you know an individual should pursue, say, individual contributor or pursue like is the ultimate role of individual contributor to be in a management role or is it defined to be individual role indefinitely like what are usually like the career progress for individual contributor versus i say you know somebody in a management role yeah I, I think we just talked about it in the beginning right so there are two paths one can be mm -hmm. Individual contributor, be a subject matter expert, right? John, as as you would put it, and 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 get great, uh, make a great living out of it, great career out of it, mm -hmm. and 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 do that for you know three four decades of their career, and that's absolutely fine. The other is to 
um, you know, go on the management track, so manage a team of data scientists and all that, right? And 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 grow in that path. So those are absolutely both are 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 great paths, right? You just have to figure out which one's you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we we got a question from chat. Um, okay. Is an individual contributor the same as an independent contractor? Uh, no, no. And so then... individual contributor is basically a role. So okay. you could be in a company and when you're not managing other people, so you don't have reporting, uh, you, you, you don't have people reporting to you, you call it individual contributor. So basically, you know, you're not responsible in that sense for your team's work, right? You, you, you're, you're, you're more in control of your work. Independent contractor is more of the arrangement of employment between you and the employer, right? So you could be an employee on the payrolls versus a contractor. So that's more of, you know, the engagement between people versus about the role. Right. So I've been an an independent contractor in the analytics space for six years now. So I, I, I never have gotten a W2. Well, I I did two internships that they paid me as W2 during my MBA, but since then I've gotten, paid nothing um, except 1099s from clients. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, it's definitely riskier being an independent contractor um, than being up under an umbrella. But there's, I mean, actually that's an, that's a kind of an interesting question. What's the risk or how risky is it to be an ind- independent contributor? And I, I guess we could also bridge that into like, well, what's the risk in your career going the that path versus I think I understand it from a managerial perspective, but I would love to hear your take on that too. Uh, independent contractor or individual contributor? Which individual con- contributor. What is the risk? I mean, it, it, it really is about the person. Uh, some people are just, you know, I, I've known people who've given up management roles because they realize that, hey, that's not for me. And I'm more productive and, you know, I get a lot more done when I'm an individual contributor. Um, like Silicon Valley is full of people like that, right? Where, you know, they are, you know, hardcore engineers or, you know, like great at, you know, designing products and, you know, they would do that. And that's an absolutely viable, you know, career path, lucrative career path. Um, so it, it's it's not about risk of one versus the other. It's about what is resonating with you, right? Who you truly are. Yeah, I guess to clarify, um, my thoughts, my the ideas that are coming to my head are it's almost yeah. a little bit like the Red Queen theory. Have you heard of that? No. What it's is from, that? Um, it's from that that book, Al- Alice in Wonderland, where the Red Queen's like, I'm running as fast as I can just to stay in the same spot. So if you're an independent contributor, you have to stay on. Like, for example, if you wanted to be a Power BI individual contributor, um, that means that you have to learn every single update and Power BI updates every single month. Yeah. So that is part of the the risk that you're mitigating there is that if you just got relaxed on that and you let that got behind six months, That's you might right. lose your job because yeah. a new update comes out and then everything you've built is broken. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I, I think I think we should uh, take a step back here. Right. And if you are in an industry that's changing a lot, regardless of what role you're playing, like you need to be up, you know, up to speed with what's going on. So. Let's say if somebody is a manager of data scientist and is still living in the Excel era, he would be a terrible manager or she would be a terrible manager, right? So uh, if, if one is in an industry that's evolving and changing, then being up to speed with what's going on is is not optional. Uh, right. It, it, it's something that one has to do, right? One has to skill, reskill themselves. 
but you know to the specific problem of you know do i have to be updated with you know the newest release of power bi or like a new shiny tool that comes out uh, like ours right uh, would i have to reskill myself the answer is like you know for some people that comes naturally it's just part of right. who you are and and if and, and this is a great point right because if you're somebody who just wants to learn new things anyway would do it out of their own accord then maybe individual contributor is a great great place to be because you would do that anyway right it's almost like uh, if you if you like to tinker with software yeah and tools and, and constantly just like build that up yeah that it's almost like you are in you inherently enjoy that and then you're going to get paid a lot of money to do that right the deeper you get into that the more economic value you can produce yeah yeah absolutely and in even if somebody's on the management side right so being an effective management uh, person they would need to be updated with what's the latest in the field mm-hmm. right otherwise they're just going to be you know bureaucratic uh you know fat in the middle i guess it's not very useful <laughs> well okay so here's my thought on the risk of being a manager going the managerial route mm-hmm. is that you are now responsible for more than just you as an individual so if you hire the wrong person and then that person screws up an entire process you're they're going to get fired probably but so are you for for bringing that into the organization and then the higher up you go in the organization, the riskier it gets. Because I, I, what is it? The average CEO is their tenure is like what two to five years or something like that. They don't last. They don't last very long, because then at that point that problem expands. Because it's like now you're hiring people who are hiring people who might be hiring people. So it's like there's so much that could go potentially wrong there. Yeah. But I mean, but so you've been a manager though. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If that you know, I mean, is that something you know when you were at a senior manager at Apple, was that something you were worried about? That was the biggest thing that bothered. So when I became a first-time manager, um, so I used to be a, an individual contributor, and I, I did pretty uh, good at that. When I became the first-time manager, I suddenly realized that, you know, I had this inherent or uh, need to be in control of things. I want to know every single thing that's going on. Um, right. So because yeah. that's how you succeeded as an individual contributor, right? You knew exactly where the data came from, what this algorithm did, how you, you know, uh, presented the insight, like all those things. And now I want to be re- involved and know like what everybody in the team is doing and be updated with it. And I just realized that that's just too much of a, a work. And I still remember, you know, it's been more than a decade since I, you know, I've, I've been a manager since then. But that first time, it was overwhelming. I'm like, you know, I was spending probably like 80 plus hours a week just so that I could be on top of everything. And, <laughs> right, because, you know, you know, you want control, right? Because that's what, uh, you know, individual contributors love. And I like doing it. So it took me like, a lot of uh, sleepless nights to to be okay with not being in control and and developing my tool set that okay i may not know every little details of things but i know enough that i know things are going well um, so 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 that's a great point right? like if some if you're somebody who loves to control everything um, right uh, that's going to go away uh, a lot of control is going to go away and people will have to be comfortable with delegating and relying on other people to uh, deliver. 
yeah, that's something I'm actively working on right now. Yeah. It's like a, we have, you know, have a, a small team. So Justin, um, since we last talked, I brought on two new people. So I brought on nice. a um, social media person. So Ian Klausowitz has 40,000 followers. He posted about the program twice and we got 240 applications in a week. So he's, wow. <laughs> so he's, he's ours, like our, our social media person. And then we also um, brought on an analytics, currently someone who's working as a manager, a manager, who's going to be coaching people through the interview process. So the, nice. the team's getting quite a bit more robust since uh, that's great yeah. to hear, man, especially knowing where your goals were and like where you wanted to take things. That's pretty solid. Gotcha. Well, thank you. All right. So do you guys have any other questions? I know, Satya, you said you had like a whole <laughs> a whole list that you could you could rattle out. Uh, I mean, uh, as I already mentioned, I have a love towards data science than data analysis, actually. So but uh, recently uh, the hot topic in the round is chat GBA, right? Yes. So what actually you believe the future of having a manpower and human intelligence in data science teams with respect to the competition we have or the the rate at which the automation is being developed? That's a great question. That's a great question. That's that's actually one of the topics that I think about a lot. Um, and, and, you know, when, when we started Ficus, it was, basically exactly the kind of thought process that happened that, you know, there is a lot of uh, uh, time spent even today in surfacing insights, right? So, so imagine you have, you know, 500 dashboards, right? Like with all the tools and all the training that people are getting, we can quickly generate dashboards, right? Quickly generate uh, insights. But you know, we don't have enough time to go through all of them and say, you know, what's going on in the business. And um, and, and that's where, you know, some of the kind of, uh, there's this huge uh, new space of, uh, of technology called augmented analytics. If you haven't looked at that, you know, look at that. That's basically taking traditional analytics and applying machine learning and AI on top of that to make that decisions uh, help with like making decisions much better right so um, so that's where kind of uh, our current product also comes right that we uh, you know go through all these multiple dashboards come up with recommendations that hey where should you focus on right now right and if you want to do some root cause analyses can you do that right there can we discover insight faster for you right so uh, i i think you know automation or ai is going to transform things, make things easier. It's going to help people. Uh, if the question is it's going to replace people, I don't think at least in our, you know, working career time, that's that's necessarily happening. It's going to provide more opportunities to people. Uh, that has been the case. And uh, it's just going to give a lot of horsepower to people, right? So they can do much more uh, than they have been. Great insights. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Justin, I feel like you've only asked one question. Yeah. Oh, you, Johannes, you got something? Yeah, yeah like I, I'm noticing, you know, you know, I'm hearing mixed review. This is just like in regards to application process about how much effort should be made into a cover letter. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, they, you don't even know your resume, let alone your cover letter. Uh, I guess the point, the question is like, 
how much time should we dedicate should an individual dedicate to actually writing updating a cover letter for a job you know i haven't okay so i don't think cover letter is all that important uh mm-hmm. uh but cover letter the thought process behind the cover letter is important right the the thought mm-hmm. process is that you know why do you want this job why are you the best fit for this job i think that is important now you could be on a call with an hr and you could basically run your cover letter through that right versus mm-hmm. you know writing it uh, and 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 sending it to them so cover letter as a as a physical form maybe less relevant now in the era of linkedin where people are uh, uh, you know finding discoverability is easier right like with 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 mm-hmm. github profiles out there uh, so physical cover letter may become less relevant but the thought behind it that hey you know what is my statement of purpose right why is this the right job for me why am i the right fit uh, why should you consider me i think that thinking is still important so mm-hmm. so going- process of creating the content for cover letter is absolutely important whether somebody physically writes it down and and you know sends it to somebody i think that's less relevant anymore got it all right so i'm going to segue this into so justin you your salary is within uh johannes's target range so i think that we have an opportunity to get some like really concrete um very specific advice so how many applications did you make? Did you even write a cover letter? And then how many interviews? And then how many of those other offers? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I went through quite a few interviews. I would say maybe about at least 50 interviews. And, 50 um, interviews? I, I went through a lot. I went through a lot. Wow. Like, um, I, just, I was just a person within that mind frame where I'm pumping out applications just to see what opportunity is going to be out there. Um, if I was offering advice to somebody, it's just don't stop. Um, and when I say interview, it could have been just a, a screening. Okay. Uh, um, mm. But in regards to a cover letter, I probably only had to submit a cover letter maybe like three times. Um, they didn't really oh, hold no. much. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. it wasn't really. That's to answer your question, did drop the cover letter. It's not important. Yeah. I think the yeah. biggest thing um, for me was – and as he mentioned before, it was like that experience showcasing where can someone go and see your work at? Um, so being able to present a dashboard that from uh, my Tableau page was just like, oh, wow. OK, I can see what it is that you can do and where your skills reside. At. And then another big thing was um, and I learned this for John was on um, quantifying. So like being able to speak to the numbers and the impact of what I had upon a business within my resume, like showing that, um, whether it was, um, for me, it was like reducing the uh, in-store, reducing the out-of-stock percentage by about 30%, like it was huge. So me being able Mm -hmm. to showcase that within my resume uh, helped me just a lot. So I really think about those things that you can bring. And that might help too, in terms of speaking more about yourself on the leadership role, like, Think about what it is you've actually done that may have had an impact on not only yourself, but on the business and on others. And writing it down or jotting it down on your phone, it helps with speaking to that and makes it more comfortable because it's natural. Thank you. Well, Johannes, you actually have an advantage because it's your business that you've been running. So you have full visibility into everything. So just Absolutely. go through, yeah, just go through and be like, oh, uh, you know, I, I, I tried this tactic and it increased sales by thirty, fifty thousand dollars 
or yeah. my close rate went higher or, you know, I, the fact that you've run your business, that is just chock full of stories and narratives that you can pull out to help sell yourself in the interview. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'll give you some perspective on what as a hiring manager, I think about when I see these numbers. Um, so sometimes we say, hey, we improved the inventory turns by X, right? Or improved sales by Y. Yes. A lot of it is not what analytics did. A lot of it is, you know, being in the right market, in the right place, having the right product. Sometimes you do the best analytics and, and, and you know, yet if the product is not good, it wouldn't sell. Mm-hmm. But when I see that, what it tells me is that person is thinking about business outcomes. Mm-hmm. That it's thinking about doing work that will impact something. So more than like, hey, did it improve sales by 15% or 50%? Uh, you know, the fact that they did something that made impact, which is, you know, substantial, I think that is important for me because, you know, as a hiring manager, I want to look at somebody who works on things that drives impact versus you know, just churns the wheel. Um, so more than, you know, the exact number, right? Like, hey, is this high or low or whatever, right? Quantifying it is important mm. and, uh, and, and showcasing that this created an incremental value is important. Understood. So, Prashant, one of the, the risks I feel like you had as a yeah. manager at a huge company is that I think a lot of times data scientists get overly fixated on the technical stuff. Yeah. And because I've heard nightmare stories about data scientists spending 150 hours on this really advanced pro- program that yeah. drives the profit by 0.000001%. And that's probably one of your biggest, like, like the biggest risk to you as a manager is that these people are huge nerds and they're going to nerd out and you've got to like rein them in and say like, okay, that's cool. You can have your pet project. Like was it Google? That's like 20% of your time. You can have your pet projects, but the other 80% has to be business focused. Cause I, I do think there's a balance between like exploring new things. Cause maybe you'll hit something versus conserving, you know, the state of the business and making sure that that's all, you know, in order. That that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I mean, uh, so having t- there is no alternative to having great technical skills. Uh, it's absolutely needed, right? Uh, so you know, we we should not be downplaying that. But that by itself is not useful. One has to have the prudence and the wisdom to say how much is enough, right? And right. You know, if if I got a model that's you know. 80% accurate and that's good enough. Do I spend the next three weeks making it like 85%? That's probably diminishing return, right? Not super useful. Um, so one has to have the technical skills for sure, but also have the prudence to use it appropriately. Um, right. Um, yeah. And so Johannes, I, we talked what earlier this week or was it two weeks ago, last week? Sometime yeah, I think recently. it was last week. Yeah, last week. So I know one of your anxieties right now is that you were a data scientist for a name brand company back six years ago. And you're like, I need to get updated on the new current, you know, tech stacks uh, in the data science space. Prashant, do you have any advice on how he can go about navigating? Should he just reach out to somebody or like, what are there resources for that? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of online courses, so sign up for one of those. I think that's that would be a great way to, uh, you know, get started. Um, the other is just, like, you know, start tinkering with things. Like, you know, do a project, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, 
there is by the way there is also uh, something that a lot of people have started doing is doing more like freelancing uh, so moonlighting right. or freelancing i think that's also uh, you know another area where if you could uh, you know do a freelance project for something uh, just to learn that thing then that can mm-hmm. add add that to your resume as well right that here's a project you actually delivered and you applied that skill and make some right Yeah, like freelance from like uh, Upwork and Fiverr, etc. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So you're anyways I, building a Tableau dashboard, right? Why not get paid for building that? Basically, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know I have tried Upwork and Fiverr, and my my finding was the rate that I feel like is comparable to myself wasn't necessarily. I think a person to do it abroad was just much cheaper than it was for me to do it. So I often would get like, oh, you're too expensive, et cetera, et cetera, instead of, you know, like, it's just been so much easier to outsource that work. And to be honest, when I first started my business, I did outsource my web page development abroad because it was just so much cheaper. Mm-hmm. How do you combat that cost difference? Okay, so first of all, Johannes, um, there's been... An, uh, so I, I feel you when I first yeah. tried to get my, I, I got my first Upwork um, independent contracting work like six years ago and mm-hmm. it was flooded with people who would charge like $10 an hour for like yeah. advanced work. But what I think has happened um, on Upwork specifically is they have this toggle of US jobs only. And I know mm-hmm. that's like kind of elitist and like kind of, um, but I think what was happening specifically in that culture is that. Well, number one, you're on like opposite time, like the, the time tables yep. don't line up. But then also, too, a lot of times there's a, bi- a a language barrier as well. So like a lot of people were finding I was I can outsource this work for a much cheaper rate, but it takes me four to five times as much. Then you got to factor in. All right. Well, let's say I charge 250 my value, my time at 250 an hour. It's not mm-hmm. worth me to the money savings of, you know, going from 100 to 25 is not worth uh, it's I'm actually losing money when I calculate my own um, sweat yeah. equity into that. I so I, I go go check out Upwork again. I do believe that it's changed to where mm-hmm. you can bid on um, just U.S. jobs only. Understood. I would also um, recommend, you know, when I had um, I was on a previous episode with John, I would Hunter actually interview me. And, you know, um, the advice that I was given was check out a lot of like small, like mom and pop companies, like companies who are just getting started or getting things in the role and you'd be surprised on how much you can help them leverage things. And like for myself, um, one of the first things I really got involved with was helping a, a chiropractic uh, office where he was just new to the Instagram, Facebook and uh, Google ads world. And, you know, me showcasing him that and then getting that data and just creating these dashboards that showed him what he can do to help leverage some things really like, helped him tremendously and I just added that to my resume and really pumped that out from there. I love that thought, right? Basically, you know, if somebody has gone out in the market, uh, you know, then it's it's too late, right? But if you could approach somebody uh, before sure. they've even gone out to the market, I think that's a great point. That's a great yeah. point. Right? Then you're not competing with everybody else. You're just having a conversation uh, one-on-one and then figuring out how you could add value versus Oh, let me go and shop around, right? And see what else is out there. Yeah, that was my mind frame. Like, I got to make this happen. So let me see who I can get to try to elevate what I'm trying to do. 
<clears throat> yeah, that's essentially how I built up my own consulting agency. Although I took it a, even a step further and I started giving public talks on analytics 101. And then I would have small business owners come in and then that, that's my sales funnel right there. But that, that's a little bit aggressive because if you're just trying to get one or two projects under your belt to expand your brand, I, I think that might. Although, I mean, maybe not. Now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, saying, oh, I give talks, um, I give public talks on analytics. What do you, what do you think about that? That's pretty impressive, right? I think so. I think that so. I'm a communicator. I'm an educator. I'm proactive in my community. It's also you might meet people who could hire you or can, um, you know, hire like hire you for a project. So that's, yeah, that's a really interesting idea. But yeah, Justin, you, you're definitely a hustler. You like <laughs> go out there and you like <laughs> grind because you're 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 like going to like networking events, like shaking hands and. People, yeah, right? that's, I feel like it's all about getting out there, and like exposing yourself. Like, if you want to um, grow, you gotta, you gotta get comfortable with the uncomfortable sometimes, and just say, hey, "Let me right. put myself out there. Let's go, let's go get it." Things, yep. Not everything falls in your lap. Being uncomfortable is a new comfort. <laughs> that's true. I've been, I've, I've been so uncomfortable for so long that I don't even know what comfort but, is anymore. But it's a great point, guys. I love uh, listening to this discussion, like approaching companies, you know, to do freelancing stuff where. You're learning new thing, but you're getting paid rather than paying for learning it. Right. Right. The, the same thing happened recently. Like I'm, I'm very new to NLP, natural language processing, you know, but I'm very much fascinated about Hey Siri because I recently bought my iPhone after coming. Yeah. Hey Siri, Hey Alexa. So there is a professor in my university who is an astronaut in NASA. A very big profile, uh, madam. And like she's doing some project on NLP, but she's not into data. She's into risk analysis and all stuff. So she just posted in our group and I was happened to taking a course under her on risk analysis and uh, I really loved the way she teach people. So I just approached her and said that I'm very new to NLP, but I love data analytics and data science. I have good knowledge in algorithms and all. So if you can uh, help me, what is your project? I may help you in doing the project. And she, she very much liked the way I approached because there is no formal interview, no formal application. I just took the appointment of the professor, met her. And uh, she has some general aviation accidents data of like some from the website itself of uh, USA. She asked me to create cost casualty networks using NLP. I'm very new. I'm dumb in that at zero, ground zero, because NLP is a very new uh, thing rather than, quant rather than quantifying algorithms. It's a qualitative algorithms to be used. So I just said, I'm new to this. I will be learning. Said I, she'll be paying me like $16 per hour. My work already started in the last couple of weeks itself. And it's a new thing and new insights. I mean, it's like a new portal open in my mind. Wait, so, so you're going to be doing neural linguistic programming for NASA? No, it's not neural linguistic. It's natural language processing. Ah, okay. Natural, yeah. Neural linguistic programming. But both like... are same. Then both definition is NLP. The abbreviation is same for both, but the like. The, right, the... right. Neural linguistic programming and natural interesting. And uh, I never heard of uh, I never heard of Upwork. So thanks to you guys, yeah. I try to apply. In you no, know, oh my God, since it's, it's just wonder and a lot of insight. I, I'm just <laughs> I'm just blessing this. this well, what I could be doing, just sleeping on my couch. But well, you guys are but you guys are help, helping me out because most of my content is about people breaking into the space. But I wanted to have one podcast where we talk to like, you know, a huge leader in the space with my students who are already like out and have years of experience working to where this, this is much more tactical and about like career um, advancement rather than, all right, step one, 
you know, build a resume. Step two, you know, build a portfolio. Step three, interview. To where this is like, you guys have all have, I mean, you guys all have like amazing backgrounds. And now we're talking to someone mm-hmm. who's got, you know, like, Sean, you're so impressive. Like the, like we're like the, the, the circles you, you roll in. Yeah. I was um, going to say like, he has an amazing background. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you guys got to have some, some, you know, FaceTime one-on-one to get to ask, you know? Yeah, I I'll just right away. I mean, I sent the LinkedIn request for Prashant sir, but I mean, I'm already in contact with uh, John. To you also, I'll just uh, so that I I just want to learn more. I mean, in this space, that's what I love about this country. Like you know, there there are no. I mean, it's true in every country. There are no limits if you want to learn from everything. But but uh, I just love this culture, and that is the reason why I love to have uh, guidance in this new corporate giant corporate world compared to other countries and. Mm. Uh, who knows? Maybe I I may I may have my own startup in the coming decade, inspired by Prashant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for your time, uh, Justin. Are you open to sticking around after we go go off uh, live? Because I, I maybe they'll ask you some questions about the program. But Prashant, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I feel like um, this should this episode should be turned into a textbook so I can just give the students. You've just been packed full of so much knowledge. Thank you so much. So much. Yeah, thank you all very much. Appreciate you. All the best, best, guys. I mean, you guys are all doing great. And the fact that you're showing up to something like this means that you have the drive to make it big and, you know, sky's the limit. So, you know, keep going at it. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, everybody. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.